Hello again. This week I'm going to go to some effort to point out that this podcast and my opinions are only those of a single Rotarian. Me. I don't pass these scripts by my club or Rotary International, and occasionally I may say something that doesn't seem to align with everybody's idea of Rotary. This week may well be one of those episodes. This will be episode 28 of 5-Minute Forest Hill. I issued that warning because I'm going to talk about something that happened to me recently. I will tell that story in a couple of minutes, but first I want to play a short clip of our speaker from the 5th of February. Bruce Jarvis, otherwise known as Stretch, is a public speaker and volunteer for Cystic Fibrosis Community Care, an organization that assists the people diagnosed with CF and their families. I learned a lot in his talk about CF's heritability, the effects on the body, and the practices that help those with CF stay healthy and active. Here's Stretch talking about the high costs of new, more effective drugs, the expensive research, and the slow pace at which some of these medications move on to the PBS system in Australia. Talking with Bruce here about uh, cystic fibrosis. Uh, you mentioned during the talk that there was a new approved uh, medication on the PBS that uh, is remarkably successful for a very small percentage of people who suffer from CF, uh, and that it was very expensive before it was added to the PBS. Do you think that the answer is more in uh, private pharmaceutical companies doing the research, or would you like to see more public money go to uh, funding research that uh, can produce I guess publicly owned treatments and cures, or do you think it's do you think it's some from both? Okay, so what what's happened in the past is with the kaleidoscope, a private company developed the drug, tested it, found out it worked, and then ran trials right around the world. It took ten years. They need to get their R and D money back from that drug, obviously. So the drug is very expensive governments react too slowly when they know that the drug works. The government keeps negotiating with the pharmaceuticals to say, well, if you give it to us for half that price, we'll put it on the PBS and you'll sell more. But the drug companies want their bang for their buck in the first 10 years. So we could, there's another drug on the market called uh, Mandacine. So I don't think I pronounced it right. But anyway, that's another drug that proves it can help another 2 to 3% of people with CF. The government's arguing has been for the last four years on price. That's another 40 or 50 people that wouldn't have CF. And people get who got that particular strain wouldn't have it again. So there's got to be a, a quick answer to, if it works, we need to come up with a way to get it into the system quick rather than argy-barging over the dollars. And between the drug companies and the government, there's got to be a mutual ground. That's what we don't have. Thank you very much, okay. Stretch talked a bit about the experiences of his own son's employment. He is able to work, but generally less than a full working week. Some employers are happy to get an enthusiastic employee for the days they're available. Others are more rigid in their expectations. 
and his son at one point had to change jobs to find a more flexible workplace. And with that, I'll segue into the perhaps more controversial opinion I alluded to earlier. Two weeks ago, I caught up with a friend. He was one of the first people I met in Australia. He was one of the first people I met in Australia, and when I met him within the first three months of my arrival in this great country, he was about the same age I am now. Both he and his wife are truly great people. They're entrepreneurs, they run their businesses ethically, they work hard, they believe in and love their family. I'm proud to know them and to be referred to as one of their friends. What I did not know was that Andrew, if we can call him that for the purpose of this podcast, had been a Rotarian at one point. It was many years ago at the club closest to him. Andrew had a desire to give something back to the community, and he chose well. Rotary does excellent work. We all know it. Locally, nationally, international, in all of the areas of focus. But he couldn't make every meeting. And after a week, where the needs of his business required him to miss yet another one, he was told, bluntly, that he was going to have to make a decision. Commit to better attendance or leave the club. He left. He'd only been a Rotarian for six months, but that was the end of it for him. It was not, however, the end of his desire to do good works. He's donated time, energy, and money to assist others in many ways since then. Recently, he built two houses for an organization that provides care and support for people with a disability within Victoria. Ten or twelve people have the purpose-built accommodation they need because of work his family has done. He bought the land. He constructed the dwellings. He maintains them to keep them safe and ensures the facilities have accessibility for the people who live there. This project has cost him well over $3 million to this point. Rotary is no longer such a rigid organization. I was told, when I started, that Rotary wants to be my third priority. Family and work come first. The members who welcomed me said this to me. I have occasionally felt that this idea was not as wholeheartedly embraced across the entire global organization by all Rotarians. I've even bristled, needlessly probably, at the use of the term apologies for notifying the club that I'll be unable to attend a specific meeting. Merriam-Webster provides us with the definition of apology as admission of error or discourtesy or an expression of regret. Inevitably, there's a tinge of guilt when I make that call or send that email. I do believe that things have changed. They've had to. There are few single-income households for those of us who still have to work. Mortgages and children are expensive. Time is at a premium. And society has changed. Any member of our Rotary Club of Forest Hill will tell a prospective member that we will take the time and energy they are willing to give us. But if we go back to the story of Andrew that I shared for a moment, there are some questions I have. The concept of 12-step programs started with Alcoholics Anonymous, and the 12 steps are fairly universal across all of them. Steps 8 through 10 relate to the wrong we've done to others. It may be that the experience Andrew had was simply a matter of the time in which he became a Rotarian. Things have changed, and his experience would be different today. But his memory of Rotary is based on his experience. Was it wrong for the expectations to have been so strict on his membership? 
If things had been handled differently, would we in Rotary have the benefit of an industrious, ethical businessman doing incredible work for others as a Rotarian? It's hard to know. Did we as Rotarians wrong him and our organization in the longer term? Steps 8 through 10 of the 12-step program relate to making an inventory of those we've wronged, making direct amends to them, and continuing to take a personal inventory of our actions as we move forward to ensure we don't make similar mistakes again. While I've not had need of a formal 12-step program in my life, I have found benefit in admitting my errors to people I've wronged and seeking to repair damage I've done. I assume Andrew is not alone. There are likely many others who would have made, and could today still make, great Rotarians, who for some reason found their experiences unpleasant. If we look back and see that we might have made some mistakes, is there value in reaching out again to rebuild that connection? I have no answers for you, but it is worth thinking about. This has been Michael Fink for 5-Minute Forest Hill.